me who he is. He said, I'm telling you, wait till you find out who Ahithophel is. And I said, okay. So we finished, we talked about some other things. We're out in the parking lot, we're about to leave, and we're walking out to the parking lot, and I walk over to his truck, and I said, hey, Steve? He said, yeah, what's that, Pastor? Who's Ahithophel? And he said, hey, man, you gotta check it out, Pastor. You're gonna really like it. So it was about a week or so later, I actually forgot about it a little bit. And I was in my study one day, I had a little bit of time. And I, and, and I said, you know what? I'm gonna check that Ahithophel thing out. And so I took a Strong's Concordance out. I looked up Ahithophel's name and I began to look up every passage. Ahithophel was in, it was about five passages. I looked up every passage that Ahithophel was in. And I will tell you, I discovered probably the greatest portrait of bitterness I have ever seen, not only in the Bible, I have ever seen in anybody's life. I want to tell you who Ahithophel is, but before I tell you who Ahithophel is, I need to tell you about bitterness. So you're in Exodus 15, and definitely that doesn't have anything to do with David, but we've got to understand the basis of bitterness, what it is, and how it's cured. And then I want you to see the consequences of it. Because college student, our country is being ruined by not being able to deal with injustice. And I want to help you today because our country is rotting away because of this root of bitterness that has sprung up and many have been defiled. Look with me if you would in Exodus chapter 15 and let's get a definition of bitterness. Bitterness is the unresolved violation of your justice system. The unresolved violation of your justice system. So here's an opinion, okay? This isn't doctrine, this is an opinion of Jim Shetler. I've been in ministry for 41 years. Most of it has been with young people, but definitely not all of it. Hundreds and even thousands of people have been adults. If you ask me, the number one issue you have dealt with more than any other issue, more than immorality, more than anger, and in a sense more than pride, though I think you can bring pride into everything, the number one counseling issue that I've dealt with is bitterness. They have an unresolved violation of their justice system. Something has happened in their life that has not been right. I legitimately, I'm not talking about that they created something. No, that was wrong. That was unfair. That wasn't right. And they cannot resolve it. College student, can I tell you this? This is my opinion. The strongest emotional force in your life is justice. But actually, I think love is the strongest force in the world. I am with you, but look at our country in the last year. What is destroying our country is the unresolved violation of people's justice system. And they are just so angry. There is so much emotion. Look, Whatever you want to say about the riots at the Capitol, those people were protesting because they felt that their election system was unjust. Whatever you want to say about Black Lives Matter and everything else that's happened this up in Portland, their cause, what is motivating that emotion is they believe of 
injustice is happening. Nobody knows how to resolve it. Laborers to the harvest. If you can't resolve an injustice in your personal life, you are useless in the ministry out there. What I talk about today, some of you have bitterness towards a roommate. Some of you have bitterness towards a parent back home, to a pastor back home, to a professor here, to somebody here on campus, and you have an injustice that was done wrong to you, and you can't resolve it. Well, let me tell you something. You are useless in the ministry. If you can't handle your bitterness, you're not going to be able to help anyone else in ministry with theirs. Now look with me for a moment at Exodus chapter 15, because this is the key to resolving bitterness. Now I want to tell you one other thing as we look at this passage. Man has a depraved justice system. Our justice system is depraved. Now, we were created in the image of God. And we weren't created in the image of God physically. We were created in the image of God in this consciousness, in this morality. In other words, when God created us, he created us with a justice system. Animals don't have this. By the way, atheists have this. This is one of the greatest proofs of the proof of God. Go to a Walmart store with a lineup of atheists. They're all lined up to go on out. It's a long line, and they're all atheists. They don't believe in God at all. And take your little buggy with your, you know, 74 items, and take your little buggy in this line of 42 atheists waiting to check out, and take your little buggy and go to the front of the line. And when you get to the front of the line, what will every one of those atheists say? Hey! What are you doing? What in the world are you doing? I'm, I'm checking out. Well, get in line. Why? What do you mean, why? It's the right thing to do. Who says? Well, I say, I say, I say, I say, I say, I say. Where'd you guys get that from? We made where we get that from. That's just the right thing to do. Well, there's no such thing as right. So I think I'm doing the right thing right now by cutting in front of you. Are you with me? You see, unsafe people have a justice system. We all have because we were created in the image of God. We just got problem. Our justice system is depraved. And because our justice system is depraved, we are extremely selective and subjective in how we deal with our justice. First of all, we're extremely subjective. We do not have eternity to look at. All we have is right now. And because it's right now, we go, this is not right what you're doing right now in my life, God. This is not right that I have given my life. I did this and I don't have my bill paid. God, that's not fair. God, that's not right. Because your justice system is subjective. And then your justice system is selective. Some of you have all been out of shape because of a person's color of their skin. Some of you all have been out of shape because a baby is a human being in a womb. I'm not disagreeing with any of these things. I'm just saying we're very selective on what we're going to consider to be the big issues. Can 
I tell you that God's justice is not like ours. It is not selective and it is not subjective. His justice is eternal. God's justice sees the beginning from the end. And God's justice sees everything through the character of his holiness. We pick and we decide that is wrong for a roommate to do this. Where someone else may say this is wrong for a roommate to do this. We're still activating a justice system, but it's selective and it's subjective. We come to Exodus chapter 15 and look at verse 22. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea and they went out into the wilderness of Shur and they went three days in the wilderness and they found no water. That's a big deal. You can't live without water. God, you get us out of Egypt and then we die of thirst. And when they came to Mars, so they finally get to water. But the water is bitter. It's no good. They cannot drink it. And man, they got upset. This is not right. This is not fair. And they had a violation of their justice system that they couldn't resolve. So they began to murmur. Hey, do we not do the same thing? When there is a policy or a rule that we believe has infringed upon our justice system, we go back to our rooms. They went back to their tents and we begin to murmur. This isn't right. And they're inconsistent. And they do it for one person, but they don't do it for another person. And we go back and we murmur. That is exactly what Israel did. And they cried. Um, and, and, they, and they went to Moses saying, what shall we drink? And that was a rhetorical question. You know that this is wrong what's happening. So Moses cried unto the Lord. And I just want to tell you guys something right now. Before we ever get to Ahithophel. This is the key to all bitterness. God did not just say, okay Moses. Go back out of the water. It'll be sweet now. Uh -huh. God says, Moses. You see that tree over there? I don't know if it was a live tree or a dead tree. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. The picture is the cross. Moses, take that tree and throw that tree into that bitter water. And when the cross was thrown into a bitter situation, it came out sweet. Now, Dr. Scheller, how does that happen? I want to tell you. There's two kinds of bitterness. Vertical towards God and horizontal towards man. You can have an unresolved violation of your justice system for something you believe God has done wrong in your life. And you can have an unresolved violation of your justice system for something you believe that God, that man has done to you. Hey, my problem's not with God. My problem's with this person. My problem's not with God. My problem's with this pervert that did this to me. This, my problem is not with God. My problem is with this roommate, this person on the campus. It's not a God thing. It's a horizontal thing. Go to the cross. If your problem is vertical, go to the cross. Because at the cross, two things will happen. When you get to the cross and you remember what Jesus Christ did for you, when you remember the love that he showed, the suffering that he went through, the price that he paid for your stinking sin. When you go to the cross and you see the love that God showed and you got a problem vertical, God, why can't I do this like others can do? Why do I struggle so much financially? Why can't I do this? Why did I come from the family that I had? Why has this happened? Why am I the gender that I am? Why do I have the parents that I have? God, 
to the cross. Because at the cross, you will see the Son of God dying for you because of the love that he has for you. And if he spared not his own son, how shall he not give you all this? College student, if you are struggling with God, study the cross. See what Christ has done, and you will leave the cross going, God, how can I be upset with you? You were spit on because of my thought life. Your beard was plucked because of the words that I say. Oh, God, how could I ever get a problem with you? You love me so much, and you proved it on the cross. Now, that's good. But my problem isn't vertical, it's horizontal. Go to the cross. Because I want to tell you something. Nothing will ever happen in your life by any individual that will ever be worse than what you did to Jesus Christ. Nothing. No one will ever lie. No one will ever hurt you. No one will ever do anything to you that is worse than what you did to Jesus Christ. And if Jesus Christ on that cross forgave you of your sin, you can forgive anyone of their sin. Do you see what our country doesn't have? Ah, uh, not sure. They don't have Christ. So they have no way to resolve their injustice. That's why what you have to declare the gospel is an imperative college student. We are not, you, you better not, I'm telling you, Christians are going to be pushed back. Christians are going to be put in a corner. Christians are going to be censored. And we're going to say, well, we can still meet in our little houses. We can still do our, do our little things. And I'm going to tell you, you have the answer for America's problems. You are not the problem to America. You have the answer to America's problems because of their injustice. And you cannot zip the lip. You've got to tell people about Christ dying for their sin. Because when you understand what happened at the cross, bitter becomes sweet. Brother Shelley, we don't have a sweet country. That's because we have a country that's not at the cross. We are so bitter. The unresolved violation of your justice system. Let me show you how it works. Take your Bibles and turn to 2 Samuel chapter 15. So I'm in my study. And I uh, get my Strong's Concordance out. And I know I hit the hill. I hit the fell. I hit the fell. I hit the There it is. Here it is. The first time I hit the fell is mentioned in the Bible. 2 Samuel chapter number 15, verse number 10. Notice what it says. 2 Samuel 15 in verse 10. So I'm going, all right, Steve Rouse. I'm going to find out who I hit the fell is. Verse 10. But Absalom. Now, I started in verse 11 because that's where it was mentioned first. But I went ahead and went back a verse. Can I go like, hey, what's the context here? But Absalom. Okay, so I stop right now. Okay, I have no idea who Ahithophel is right now. I, I'm studying in my office, and I look up Ahithophel, verse 11. But I go back a verse to kind of figure out the context. And I see Absalom. Well, one thing I know, I have no idea who Ahithophel is yet. But I know one thing about Absalom. There's one bitter guy. Absalom's got the whole package, by the way. He's tall, dark, handsome, witty. 
He had, if Absalom was a student here at this college, everyone would go, that's my favorite guy. Every girl would have a crush on him and every guy would go like, what do you say? I mean, he's, he's, he's it, man. Absalom has everything. He's got good looks, he's got wit, he's got charm, he's a good speaker. But Absalom's got bitterness. He has an unresolved violation of his justice system towards his father. His father's a man named David. And because his sister was raped and his dad did not handle that situation properly, he has an unresolved violation of his justice system. And I'm telling you something, you keep that bitterness in long enough, it's coming out. And it comes out in this chapter. Absalom is going to take the kingdom away from his dad because of bitterness. Because of his unresolved violation of his justice system, Absalom, it's all more like, I don't know who Ahithophel is, but I know who Absalom is. And Absalom is one bitter son. But Absalom sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then ye shall say, Absalom reigneth in Hebron. This is a coup. He's taking over his dad's kingdom. Look at verse 11. I've got to get a kick out of this part. And with Absalom went 200 men out of Jerusalem that were called. And they went in their simplicity and they knew not anything. So Absalom had 200 teenagers with him. Okay, verse number 12. And Absalom sent for everyone together in, a, in chapel today. And Absalom sent for the Gilanite, that's a suburb of Jerusalem, a neighborhood nearby Jerusalem. And Absalom sent for Ahithophel, the Gilanite. Hey, Brother Scheller, you got your answer. David's counselor. Okay, let's go. Let's get to class. Oh, what's up? Why is David's counselor going with Absalom? So now I know the answer to my question. Who is Ahithophel? One of David's counselors. But I got a problem. Why would David's counselors join with Absalom? I want to tell you the first thing about bitterness that you need to learn in consequences. Birds of a feather flock together. Hear this, college students, all of your life and all of your ministry. Birds of a feather flock together. Bitter people find other bitter people. Somehow they think this is going to help resolve their, their violation of their justice system. If they find other bitter people that have an unresolved violation, maybe it's about their parents, maybe it's about, sometimes it's about the same person. Whoa, bitter people know how to get together after church and, and, and get together about their unresolved violation they have towards their pastor. But a lot of times it can be a different individual. Now here it's the same individual. They both have bitterness towards David. How do you know that? Well, wait till we get to the other story. But they both have bitterness towards David and birds of a feather will flock together. Notice it in the doors. Notice it in the collegians. Somebody has a, has a stinking attitude. They got, a, they got a violation of their justice system that has been done wrong. They find other people. Absalom finds Ahithophel to join them. Now, I don't know who this guy Ahithophel is at this point, but I'm going like, this is interesting. Birds of a feather flock together. Ahithophel got a little bitter problem. Look now at chapter 15, verse 31. It's the second time Ahithophel's mentioned in the scriptures. Now what happens from verse number 12 to verse number 31 is basically David or Absalom takes over the kingdom. David does not want to fight his own son. So in the middle of the night, David takes off 
with a few of his men, and they go over to the Mount of Olives. They go down to the Valley of Kedron, and they escape Jerusalem because Absalom's after them. So they finally get to the Mount of Olives, and while they get to the Mount of Olives, a guy comes running. A guy comes running out of Jerusalem, and he's yelling at David. He said, David, David, guess who joined with Absalom? David, guess. And, and, and I know what David's thinking. No, don't tell me. Don't say it. Don't say it. Don't be Ahithophel. And look at verse 31. And one told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators. And Absalom and David said, Oh, Lord, I pray thee, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. Oh, God, not Ahithophel. Oh, Lord, I knew it. There was those seeds, and now, and David's on it. Well, in the midst of this, a guy comes. I love this guy. I call him the golden retriever of the Bible. His name is Hushai. And Hushai comes running. And I like this guy. He's got, he's got dirt in his hair. Have you ever seen those clods of dirt in football helmets when they go down there? Well, this, this guy's got dirt in his hair. He's got dirt all over his And he's coming. He ran out. And Hushai's like a golden retriever. He's loyal to David. And he comes running. He says, David! David! I'm here for you, David! David, I'm your man! I'm your servant, David! Come on, let's go back and take over Absalom! And David says, oh, I got a better idea of Hushai. Hushai, I want you to go back. I'm not going back to that bitter son of yours. I'm with you, David. And then I hit the found guy, too. No, I'm here for you. No, I got that. Hushai, you can help me. Dad, I'm here for you. I want to help you. Hushai, go back. Go back. Go back and be my spy. What are you talking about? I just found out Ahithophel joined with Absalom. I could have told you that, David. He's got a bitter heart, just like your son. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want you to go back, and whatever Ahithophel says, I want you to counter his counsel. Because Ahithophel is so wise. He's so discerning. But he's a bitter man. Go back. So Hushai goes back. He said, I want to go back and join as a spy with Absalom. So Hushai goes back. That's the second time. Look at over chapter 16 and verse 20. This is the third time. This is an incredibly important passage. The third time that Ahithophel is mentioned, Absalom has the entire kingdom now. Absalom is the king of the land. David now has run and he is hidden. And now Absalom doesn't know exactly what to do. Okay, I'm the king. I better have some advice. So look what he does in verse 20. Then said Absalom to Ahithophel, give counsel among you what we should do. Hey, Ahithophel, what should I do now? Now what he gives his counsel is extremely important. Everyone, just think this out for a moment. If bitterness is the unresolved violation of your justice system, what is the greatest thing that you want if you're a bitter person? And I think we're wise enough to say it out loud. If you're a bitter person, and you have an unresolved violation of your justice system, everyone together, what is the greatest thing that you want? You want justice. So remember that. And Ahithophel said unto Absalom, this is what you need to do. You need to go in unto thy father's concubines, which he hath left to keep the house, and all Israel shall hear that thou art abhorred of thy father. Then shall the hands of all that are with thee be strong. 
So they spread Absalom's tent upon the top of the house. The top of the house. Remember that roof? Remember that roof? Remember what David did up in that roof? That's the same one. The same roof, the same top of the house that he saw Bathsheba from, Absalom puts a tent there. So they spread Absalom a tent upon the top of the house. And Absalom went in onto his father's concubines in the sight of all of Israel. That's shocking. What does this got to do with justice? I'm going to tell you what this has to do. You all know the story when Nathan confronts David. And David, you are the man. What you did to Uriah and what you did with Bathsheba and then had Uriah killed. And David breaks down. He confesses, I am the man. I ask God to forgive me. Nathan says, God's forgiven you. But forgiveness is not the absence of consequences. Forgiveness is the restoration of a relationship. You're restored with your God, but there are consequences. Now, we all know if I asked you what are the consequences, you'd say, oh, the baby dies. And you would be half right. But there was another consequence in 2 Samuel 12 given. And the second consequence was that all of his wives and his concubines would be laid bare and ashamed in front of all of Israel. Notice what Ahithophel says, because he's looking for justice. This is what you do, Absalom. You take all of David's wives and concubines, you put a tent so everyone can see what you're doing, and go have sex with all of them. Because that's what God said. God said it. Bring justice. Wow. Absalom says, sounds like a good idea. So he does it, thinking it's going this is that justice that's coming here. David deserves this. Now, guys, at this point, I'm studying this. I want to call Steve. Who is this guy? I get this out. Well, this is a bitter man. Look at verse 23, because, guys, this is really important, college students. This verse is for you today. You need to hear this. And the counsel of Ahithophel, which he counseled in those days, was as if a man had inquired. As if a man had inquired at the oracle of God. So was all the counsel of Ahithophel, both with David and with Absalom. All right, Dr. Zeller, I am trying to follow you today in chapel, but I just got lost. Doesn't that verse teach that Ahithophel spoke like God spoke? Yes. Brother Shepherd, how can somebody that is as bitter as you say he is speak the oracles of God? I think this is a very important truth that this college body needs to hear. You can speak for God and not be right with God. You can speak for God and not be right with God. We got some illustrations of that through the scriptures. Samson's used, but he's not right with God. It was a Wednesday night. 
And I want to tell you this specific illustration because it was a Wednesday night at church, at the campus church of Pensacola Christian College. And a man got up and preached that night. And in my life, I can only remember five, six other times that I ever saw the Spirit of God come down like he did that night. The invitation went on for almost two hours. College students were getting saved and getting right. Church members were getting saved and getting right. And I said, that has got to be one of the greatest messages I have ever heard in my life. He talked about first, second, and third generation Christianity. And I got to tell you, he spoke the oracles of God and the Spirit of God came down. About a year and a half later, that man was out of the ministry. That man had prostitutes in many of the cities that he traveled with. He pastored one of the largest churches in fundamentalism. That man was out of the ministry, and I checked a timeline. That man was living in sin the night that he was in our church and the night we had revival. And I got to tell you guys, so I struggled with that. God, how could that have happened? And you listen. Because almost everybody under my voice is going to be in some kind of ministry, whether you end up being a Sunday school teacher, a deacon, or whether you're going to be a pastor, a youth pastor, or a Christian school teacher. You can speak for God and not be right with God. And you better understand that that bitterness sooner or later is going to come out. And some of you may do all these great things for God while you're at college, and you still have bitterness towards your parents. You still have bitterness towards a relative or a coach or a teacher. You still have bitterness on this campus, and yet, well, but I'm probably the, I'm going to be the, you know, I'm probably one of the five best preachers here on this campus. Hey, you can speak for God and not be right with God. This man is racked with bitterness. We go to chapter 17, we see the next passage. Now, chapter 17, verse 1, it says, Moreover, Ahithophel said unto Absalom, Let me now choose out 12,000 men, and I will arise and pursue after David this night. Ahithophel says, Let me go right now to go get David. Look at verse 2. And I will come upon him while he is weary and weak handed. And will make him afraid. And all the people that are with him shall flee. And I will smite the king only. And I will bring back all the people unto thee. Now, you don't know this yet. And I didn't know this yet. But Ahithophel's an old man. How do you know that? I'll tell you at the end. But Ahithophel's an old man. So listen to this. This is what this looked like, guys. Absalom. You give me 12,000 men, and I will go tonight, and I'll go get David myself, and I'll kill David with my own hands, and I'll bring back the other people. Give it to me tonight. Absalom, let me have them now. You know what? As bitter as Absalom is, he's going like, whoa, old man, take it easy. Whoa, bud. You, I thought I was bitter at my dad. You are really bitter at my dad. So Absalom has enough sense to him to go like, you know what, maybe I better ask somebody else what to do. In comes Hushai. Hey, go get this Hushai. 
Yes, sir, I'm here for you. What, what do you want, Absalom? Whatever you say, Absalom, I'll do. Yeah, oh, sure, let me ask you something. What do you think I ought to do right now? What do you mean? What do, what, what do you think I ought to do right now? What do you think I ought to do with my old man? What did Ahithophel say? Well, Ahithophel says I should go tonight and go get him. Yeah, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> Why not? Because. Absolutely. Are you familiar with wounded animals? Yeah, yeah. When, when an animal is wounded, aren't they like the most dangerous? Yeah. You go after your dad tonight, he's like a wounded animal. He'll attack and fight back. Wait a while. Don't go right now. Wait a while. Get your armies together and then go fight him. You know, who's I? I think you're right on this. Now listen to me. David was not ready. Had Absalom listened to Ahithophel, David would have died that night. He was not prepared at all. But because Absalom listened to Hushai instead of Ahithophel, David escapes. I think that's just very interesting. That's another message by itself about how God brings people in at the right times. God's brought people into your life at the right time. You better listen to them. The Hushais in this world that are loyal to you and that love you. You gotta listen to the Hushais. Now the next one is amazing. Look at chapter 17 and verse 23. When Ahithophel finds out, we've only got one more. When Ahithophel finds out that Absalom does not take his counsel, look at verse 23. Then when Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, he saddled his ass and arose, got him home to his house, to his city, put his house in order, and hanged himself, and died, and was buried in the sepulcher of his father. I gotta be very careful what I'm about to say. So I'm gonna sandwich it by saying it is somewhat of a subjective observation throughout ministry. But it is a true observation from my perspective. I believe that every suicide I've ever been involved with in finding out and investigating and finding things out, if you go down the fruit of the suicide, you go down the twig and down the branch and down the, the limb and down the trunk and you get to the root, every suicide I've ever been involved with that I've known about Teenage girls, I've been there. Adult men, I've been there. You'll find that the root is a non-resolved violation of their justice system. So now they're gonna take the greatest act of justice that they think that they can do, and they're gonna take their life. Dr. Shetler, are you telling me that every person that commits suicide does it because of bitterness? No, but I am telling you, bitterness is the number one source of suicide. And if you take people and you follow it all the way back down, there is an unresolved violation of their justice system that they hated something that happened and they weren't able to resolve it and they took their life. But you know what, guys? We could sit here for the rest of the, the, rest of the, the chapel and argue that. Let's put that off to the side. I'm going to tell you this. You are committing spiritual suicide if you are gonna keep that bitterness. Forget about the physical suicide for a moment. You are committing spiritual suicide to continue on with that unresolved violation of your justice system. And look, I tell you, I am 63, almost 64 years old. 
Our country is committing suicide. We are, we're, we're destroying our history. We're just, we are committing suicide as a country. And I want to tell you why. We have so much unresolved violation of our justice system. We are so bitter. And I'm telling you, college student, if you can't handle it in heritage, and you're struggling with bitterness and glory, you think you're going to be able to go out into this world and do a ministry of reconciliation when you can't even reconcile with roommates? When you can't even reconcile with a faculty and staff that loves you, that maybe has done you wrong? You can't even reconcile with the way God created you? And you're going to go out there and be a minister? What are you thinking? They're angry out there, guys. And if you haven't experienced the tree in your water, you aren't going to help anyone out there. He committed suicide. I'm sitting in my office. I got you. Who is this guy at Ephraim? He's got to be the bitterest guy I've ever known. I got one more passage. And I'm looking at my Strong's Concordance. It says 2 Samuel 23. So I'm going over to 2 Samuel 23. And as I'm turning over to 2 Samuel 23, I start thinking about myself. 2 Samuel 23, 2 Samuel 23, 2 Samuel. Wait! 2 Samuel 23? I have a series of messages on 2 Samuel 23. This is David's mighty men. At the end of David's life, he writes about these mighty men in his life. I mean, I love these guys. You got Dodo. I love this guy, Dodo. I love Eliezer. I love the guy that jumps down in the pit, kills the lion in the middle of the winter with his bare hands. The, the guy that they can't get the sword out of his... I mean, these are the coolest guys in the world. David's mighty men! Last passage where Hitlerfeld's mentioned. Brother Shep, are you going to tell me that Hitlerfeld is one of David's mighty men? No, he's not. But his son is. Look with me in 2 Samuel 23 and verse 34. This is the last reference of Ahithophel in the Bible. And Eliphat, the son of Abishai, the son of the Maglophite. And look at this. Eliam, the son of Ahithophel, the Gilanite. They're from, it's the same one. It's from the same, same suburb. Eli, Eliam, the son of Ahithophel, the Gilanite. Okay, now I have no idea who Ahithophel is. But Ahithophel has a son. And his son becomes one of David's mighty men. Okay, this is like the coolest thing in the world. Because I don't know who Ahithophel is, but I know this. Everything in your life will either make you bitter or make you so Ahithophel is bitter about something. I don't know who he is. But Eliam, his son, ends up being one of David's mighty men. That is the coolest thing in the world. So whatever it was that made Ahithophel bitter made Eliam better. College student, your family's going through cancer. Your family will either get bitter or better. College student, your family loses a loved one. Your family either gets bitter or it gets better. College student, you go through a financial difficulty. You either leave here 
go home bitter and just say, oh, forget God's will, or you get better. But I am telling you, when injustice comes in your life, the way you handle it will determine your destiny. Eliam is one of David's mighty men, but his dad kills himself. So I'm sitting in my office, and I am ready to call Steve Rouse. Because I ain't got no place to go. Who is Ahithophel? And I look at the name Eliam. So who is this Eliam guy? He's mentioned only one other place. But the other place showed me who Ahithophel was. Would you take your Bibles and turn to 2 Samuel chapter 11? 2 Samuel chapter 11. Now, I'm turning back to 2 Samuel 11, and as I'm turning back to 2 Samuel 11, I'm thinking, wait, that's the story of David and Bathsheba. And I come to 2 Samuel chapter 11, and I read verse 2. And it came to pass in the evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof. That's the top of the house. You guys heard about that already. And walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman. Guys, you should have been in my office this moment. And one said, Oh, is not this Bathsheba the daughter of Eliah? The wife of Uriah the Hittite. Bathsheba is a lion's daughter. That would make Ahithophel Bathsheba's grandpa. Wow. You ever put the jigsaw puzzle together and you get the last few pieces and all of a sudden Oh, man. So, the talk of the town, the talk of the country was David's immorality with Bathsheba. Can you imagine walking through the palace as Ahithophel? Two guys are talking. Ahithophel comes around the corner. Hey, shh, shh, be quiet. Shalom. Shalom, Ahithophel. Pokatov. Good morning. Good to see you, Ahithophel. What are you guys talking about? Um, the weather out in Jerusalem. No, you're not. Talking about my granddaughter, aren't you? Well, I just want to tell you. You think he's the little giant killer. You call him the little psalmist. I call him a pervert. I call him a murderer. And I don't know whatever you want to call David. You can call David whatever you want. But that man ruined our family. That man is the worst man that ever lived. He's no shepherd to me. Whoa. Whoa. Ahithophel was a bitter man. Something happened in his life. He wasn't able to resolve it. His name probably went down. Oh, you're Bathsheba's grandfather. It's all of David. I want to tell you. Some of you all, you all just love your little Pastor Chapel. Well, I got a problem with Pastor Chapel. I'm telling you, man, take it easy. Man, you all think this guy's the best. You guys all think this guy. Well, let me tell you something about that guy. You all think this student is like the model student. Well, let me tell you what that model... I'm telling you something. You're doing nothing in ministry. If you cannot go to a tree 
and see what Christ did for you. If you can't forgive and you can't make a choice of your will to reconcile with an offender and erase the debt that they owe you and live with the consequences, you're going to be worth nothing in ministry. And all you're going to do is be more wood for the fire for a country that is burning with bitterness. I'm telling you, bitterness is destroying our land and it's destroying our churches. You get an unresolved violation of your justicism. They gave, they gave more on that plate to the me, than me. They got to do this and I didn't get that pass. And this isn't right and that isn't right. Guys, life's not fair. What are you going to do with injustice? You've got to resolve injustice. And the only way I know how to resolve it is at the tree. Is at the cross of Calvary. I was... Preached this message in the camp. And a seventh grade boy came up to me afterwards, Dr. Dent. First of all, I didn't even think seventh grade boys listened. Seventh grade boy came up to me afterwards and he said this. I never forget this. He said, Hey, Brother Scheller, I like that Ahithophel thing. He said, Do you ever think about this, Dr. Scheller? I said, What's that, son? Do you ever think about if he hadn't killed himself, who his great grandson was? And I said, no, no, who's his great-grandson? I wouldn't think. Brother Scheller, if he hadn't committed suicide, his great-grandson he could have spent time with was Solomon. And I went like, whoa, that's pretty cool. You blew it, Ahithophel. The greatest, wisest man outside of Christ that ever lived was your great-grandson you never saw. Because there was good that came out of that David and Bathsheba thing. But you never saw it. And college student, I believe that there are people that will never see what God could have done in their ministries. Because they cannot resolve something that's happened in their life. Would you be different than the rest of our country? And would you come to the tree and say, today God... Forgive him. You forgave me. God, how could I be upset with what you've done? You died for me. You love me. God, it's done. 